Welcome home. Glad you're here this morning. There is always room for one more. Unfortunately, we have to say farewell to some wonderful folks that we've made one room, room for one more for. Pastor Mike and Pam, would you join me up on the stage? Pastor Mike has been serving as our interim senior pastor for about the past five months since the beginning of March. And it's incredible to see uh, how time has gone over this summer and under his leadership. And we wanted to take some time in the same way that when we welcomed you at the beginning, just five months ago, to welcome you now. And I was joking with Pam earlier, really all the thanks and credit goes to her for loaning you to us for the past several months. So thank you, Pam. We really appreciate that. <laughs> we have a gift for you. We got some uh, flowers for you, Mike. And uh, we got a book of Psalms as well. Uh, they've been leading us through prayer time on Wednesday evenings, and part of that included going through the book of Psalms. Uh, Rebecca didn't believe that the flowers were for you, but <laughs> thank you, Rebecca. Uh, so as our gift to you from our community, we're so thankful for your leadership, uh, for your support of Elevate. Um, on a personal note for myself, I'm thankful that not only were you my boss for a couple of months, but you've become a friend and a mentor to me. And I get to stand on great shoulders uh, as you guys head to different ministry opportunities. Can I say a blessing over you? Absolutely. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, and our hearts are a little bit bittersweet right now. We're so thankful for Pastor Mike and his leadership, uh, and Pam for being with us when she could. God bless them as they uh, continue their ministry walk uh, wherever you lead them, God. Continue to lead and guide uh, as life comes back to maybe a little bit sense of normalcy for them, and God, thank you for continuing to lead and guide this community. So God, we pray a blessing over them wherever you lead. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you both very much. Let's give it up for them. Our engaged question this morning is this. Who is Jesus? I don't want to pause on that question for a moment because this has been the guiding question for us this summer. We've been looking at the series, Hello, My Name Is, and that's really the root of what we're studying. Who is Jesus? How does he describe himself in the gospel of John? How does he make introduction? How is he introducing himself to us? And today we're going to step back into John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be for the bulk of our time today. We've already looked at this pericope once more. We've looked at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world from John 8 and 9. But there are three other instances in John chapter 8 where Jesus sneaks in the divine introduction or the divine name, I am. And arguably, though ambiguous at first, is the single most clear piece of scripture where Jesus claims to be the Messiah. And I think it's a pretty cool piece of scripture. It was fun to study this week, and I'm excited to share it with you this morning. So as we open our Bibles to John chapter 8, let's say a word of prayer and welcome God's spirit to sit down beside us. God, our Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus and the opportunity to know who he is and to know him himself. Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, would you come and sit down beside us? Would you introduce yourself to us this morning or maybe reintroduce? Whatever it might be, God, 
Thank you for coming and being. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You got your Bibles open to John chapter eight. We begin in John chapter seven, verse 14. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. This is the opening in the gospel of John of what scholars will call the temple discourse. It's Jesus going to the temple and in John, it's the biggest bulk that he spends in the temple. And astute scholars that you are are questioning in your mind, what festival are we talking about? I know the Jews celebrated some festivals. Which one is this? This story that we're looking at today occurs during the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It was the time that Israel would remember their exodus out of Egypt, that they would remember the tents that they dwelt in in the middle of the desert and the tent that God dwelt in at the very same time. If you're taking notes or want to know more about the Feast of Tabernacles, you can look at Leviticus 23 this afternoon. Some very interesting reading from the book of Leviticus. Most of the time. Yeah, that one, that was supposed to be funny. That one didn't hit. For the children of Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a remembrance of their slavery in Egypt. And it's celebrated on the heels of Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement, the day, the one day out of the year where the entirety of sin is purged from the camp of Israel. And undoubtedly, the Jews would have recounted the story of Exodus. They would have been telling it to one another, and it would have been on the teacher's lips as they're in the temple. And undoubtedly, it would have included Exodus chapter 3, 14, Moses at the burning bush. And Moses says, I'm going to go back to the children of Israel. God, who, who are you? Who can I tell the, the sons of Israel that you are? And God says, I am that I am. I am the ever-existent one, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. That's on the back of their mind. And we fast forward through the temple discourse and get to John chapter 8, verse 59, which is where we will end up today. And it says that at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. That's at Jesus. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Very interesting story, right? Begins with Jesus teaching in the midst of the temple and it finishes with people wanting to pick up stones to kill him. What's, what sermon did he preach? What teaching did he give? Remember, uh, when I was a, a freshman in high school, and one of my high school classmates is sitting here with us today. I, it was that time of year where you run for an essay office and I thought it'd be kind of a cool idea. And Adi's, I don't know if you remember this, but it, it's, a, it's an interesting story for sure. I decided, hey, let me, let me try to, to run for essay secretary, right? Like, let's get an essay, it'll be fun, leadership, all that kind of fun stuff. And it came to the assembly where we were gonna have speeches and everybody was supposed to get up and give their speech as to why they were fit for office and the vision that they had for the school. And I remember putting absolutely zero effort into preparing that speech. Now, I do a lot more of that now, and I look back and see my folly then, but I, I, my heart starts to beat a little bit. I'm even getting nervous now of like retelling the story because of the secondhand embarrassment I get of myself. Zero preparation for that speech. And there was a couple people that went before me that were running for secretary as well, and I get up, and I remember basically quoting all the other people before me in that speech. 
And I know somebody had mentioned something about like redoing the library and like this is their vision for the school year, like some of the stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of sounds like a cool idea. And like, yeah, you know, like just kind of, kind of vote for me. And I remember that moment, there was, if there were probably tomatoes or rotten tomatoes sitting around, somebody was probably reaching for one and being like, get off the stage, Michael, like, what are you doing? It's needless to say, I didn't win the office of secretary that year. Yeah. But for me, what was greeted after that speech was blank stares and crickets. Jesus, after his speech in the temple, is greeted with hateful looks and with stones. I probably maybe should have been stoned for the speech I gave running for secretary in high school. Uh, but I, I, me standing here today is testimony that I made it out alive. Jesus, unwelcome. Jesus, the one who they will pick up and throw stones at, not realizing who he is. And Jesus spends three instances in the Gospel of John trying to articulate, I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. And in the middle of the children of Israel thinking about the Exodus and and thinking about the the Feast of Tabernacles, perhaps they would have read from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 13. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, God speaking to the children of Israel. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There has never been and there never will be. Yes, I, yes, I am the Lord. Are you hearing the connection? There is no other Savior. Verse 12. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are my witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. And verse 13, from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. As Jesus shares his identity, no doubt this piece of scripture is running through his mind and through his listeners, the mind of his listeners. Let's go back for a moment and dive into verse 12. And I want you to pick up on this because verse 12 in Isaiah 43 will become the lens through which we look at John chapter 8 this morning. First, I predicted your rescue. God said, rescue is coming. You are going to need a rescue. Then I saved you. Not only did God predict the rescue, but he offered salvation. And then he proclaimed that salvation to the world. And I would offer you this morning that in John chapter 8, Jesus perhaps uses Isaiah 43 verse 12 as an introduction to his listeners. So the story continues. We're back in John. It's within that feast. He's making his most direct and public claims to divinity and Christology. There's a beautiful one in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 38. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water flow from his heart. You see, at the the end of the festival, as everybody's gathered at the tabernacle, the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam and and get some water, and they would take the cistern of water, and they would pour it out on on the steps of the temple, giving the image of the water of life that the Old Testament is spoken about. And as the, the priest is overturning the cistern of water, and the water is rushing down 
the steps of the temple, eliciting in the minds of the Israelites the water coming forth from the rock of Exodus. It's with that image that Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. Rivers of water, living water, flow from his heart. From, that's from Jesus' heart. And then a few verses later, Jesus will say in John chapter 8, verse 12, he'll say, spoke to them once more, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to light. Not only did they have a water ceremony, but there was a light ceremony as well. They would hang lanterns around the temple, signifying God's leadership through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And it's with this imagery that Jesus says, that's me. That lantern there, that shining light, that's me. I'm the light of the world. And you guessed it, Jesus gets into a little bit of trouble claiming to be who he is. People don't quite like it very much. And it's now that we turn to those three different I am statements in the gospel of John. And Jesus is ambiguous at first, but Jesus often uses ambiguity to bring clarity. Have you ever experienced that in your life? That sometimes it just doesn't quite make sense what God's will for your life and the direction. It seems ambiguous at first. But that pursuit after God, the pursuit of the knowledge of God and experience with him ultimately brings clarity in your life. And Jesus in John chapter 8 and the subsequent verses has a conversation with the religious leaders. He, they call into question his testimony. They said, you're only one guy and you're talking about yourself. And you're talking about your father who's not here. He can't corroborate your testimony. You are not who you claim to be. And then Jesus will pick it up in John chapter 8 verse 21. In John chapter 8 verse 21. Later Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You'll search for me, but will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. Verse 22. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does this mean? You cannot come where I am going. Verse 23. Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Jesus is trying to make an introduction. He's trying to articulate to them who he is. And I think he's a little bit crazy, perhaps demon-possessed, maybe a little bit suicidal, and he's like, no, 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 I'm coming from a place that you don't know. All you need to do, all you need to know about me is that belief in me is enough for salvation. Belief in who I am, being connected to me, means you won't have to worry about a thing. If you believe I am who I say I am, you will not die. You see, Jesus in this moment, Jesus is rescue predicted. Isaiah 43, I predicted your rescue. Jesus stands up in front of the people and he says, if you believe in me, you will not die. He predicts that there's a way for rescue, a way for the people to understand who he is and be brought closer to the heart of God. He's making an announcement that rescue is accessible. It's for everyone. He can save. And he declares that he is providing a way. The I am is providing that way to salvation. 
And the discussion continues on. They ask Jesus, excuse me, new number, who dis? Who are you again? Like, we're not quite tracking with what you're saying. And we jump down to verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that what? I am he. I do nothing of my own but say only what the Father taught. Verse 29. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what, he, what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. At this moment, as Jesus is dialoguing with those at the temple, people come away with an understanding of who he is. They're like, okay, we get it. We've been listening to, to Daniel. It's the language of Daniel that, where Jesus uses the Son of Man being lifted up. And the Son of Man for Jesus is his favorite name for himself. It's perhaps his nickname, the one that he uses most often to describe who he is. And the Jewish ears would have made the connection. They're like, okay, yep, Daniel, Son of Man, we got it. And here Jesus is self-identifying as the way of escape. The Son of Man being lifted up. Jesus is rescue procured. If any of you like three-pointed alliterative sermons, this is the one today, all right? Rescue predicted, rescue procured. We'll get to the third one here in a moment. Jesus is rescue procured. Remember the story of the children of Israel in the desert, the the serpents come into the camp and they're biting people and killing people and God instructs Moses, he says, make a bronze serpent and hold it up before the people and if anyone will look at that serpent, they will live. Jesus says in the same way that Israel experienced healing, experienced salvation from the wicked serpents, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, you will experience salvation from the one who is wicked and got you into this place in the first place. See, that symbol of the cross that has become so ubiquitous with Christianity, Jesus says, that's the length that I would go. I will procure rescue for you. Not only will I predict that you need it, but I will also make sure that it is secured on your behalf. And it's interesting to note that many people believe Jesus after this. But the dialogue isn't over, and the story continues in the subsequent verses, and we don't have time to get into all the, the, the interesting theological depth that is John chapter 8. If you have time this afternoon, read through the remaining verses of John chapter 8. Because there's this long dialogue, and Jesus calls out the people. He says, if you continue to follow me, then you'll be free. And they say, Freedom? If anybody knows about freedom, come on, we're Abraham's children. We know about slavery and we know what it means to be free. So who are you to tell us about freedom? And Jesus details how they're not actually free. They claim to be free under Abraham, but really they are slaves to the devil himself. And he calls into question their heritage. He's like, you believe you're from Abraham? No, no, let me tell you, you're really from the devil. And they're like, okay, you're gonna play that game? Well, Jesus Who's your daddy? Because Joseph and Mary weren't married before they had you, so you're really an illegitimate son. We're legitimate sons. You're the illegitimate one. They call out his fatherless birth, and then he in turn calls them out, and he says, if you were really of Abraham, 
if you really followed in the way of Abraham, then you wouldn't be acting the way that you are. And the reason that I know that you're of the father of the devil is because you don't believe in me. And you carry out the works of the devil. And I've got to pause for a moment on this one. Because are we really the people that we claim to be? Claim to be followers of Jesus and have an introduction to who he is, following after God. Do our actions portray to the people around us that we are followers of Jesus? I got an email once, somebody really kind of calling out and castigating the church because we weren't doing a particular thing. And it was very, very lovely worded kind of some mean language in there. They'd put some time to articulate really how they felt, and it really came across to me in a very passive-aggressive way. And I remember thinking in that moment, I said, wow, you know what? I'm going to write an email that's even more passive-aggressive back to them, because that's how you do it, right? No, not quite. Are we kind and courteous with those around us? Do we, in every way, exhibit who Jesus is in our life. You see, if we are with Jesus and then we become like Jesus, we would do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus, looking at the religious leaders in the temple, he says, the way that you're claiming to live your life is not matching up with the way that your life is flowing from you. And there's this back and forth about who Jesus really is. And it comes to a point that Jesus has absolutely had enough. He's trying to articulate his relationship between him and the Father and who he is for the people. And in John chapter 8, verse 54, he says this. He answers them, if I want to glorify myself, it doesn't count. He said, even if I was in it for my own glory, that's not what I'm here for. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, verse 55. But you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise... I would be as great a liar as you. Jesus doesn't mince words. But I do know him and obey him. Verse 56. You, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. These people are frustrated because Jesus is coming. He says, if you're really of Abraham, Abraham rejoiced to see me. You say, Abraham never saw Jesus. Yeah, he did. Taking Isaac, his only son, the covenant son, up on the top of the mountain and Abraham raising the dagger to sacrifice his son to God and God saying, hold on, I've prepared a way of escape. And as Abraham looks at the ram in the bushes, he sees Jesus and he rejoices because the way of salvation and rescue has been procured. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57, the people said, you're not even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? He lived a significantly long amount of time before that. And Jesus replies to them in verse 59 or verse 58. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Jesus said everything that we've been talking about here today, the the rescue promised and the, the rescue procured. Yeah, that's been in existence before Abraham was even in diapers. And by the way, sweetie, I changed Abraham's diapers is really what, it, what Jesus is trying to say. They were hung up about heritage, where they had come from and where Jesus had come from. 
Jesus says he was around way before Abraham was, and they were having trouble recognizing Jesus, but Abraham was not. You see, Jesus is rescue proclaimed. In Jesus, we see the proclamation of rescue. Rescue was promised long ago. Rescue was procured long ago. And rescue was proclaimed long ago because in Jesus, we find our rescue. In John chapter 8, verse 59, at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Jesus has claimed to be God. He's claimed to be the one, and rightfully so. And we can look back through history and say, obviously, guys, you're missing it. But if we were to take an inventory of our own lives, if we were to look at how we lived, do we recognize who Jesus is? Can we claim that the the I am has transformed our life? Can we understand that Jesus is rescue predicted, rescue procured, and rescue proclaimed? That he is the whole kit and caboodle put together in one package. He is everything that we have ever desired, everything that we have ever longed for. He knew that we would be in need of someone to save us from sin. And he said, I'm going to be the salvation for you. I'm going to be the rescue for you. And not only am I going to proclaim it, am I going to predict it, but I'm going to procure it. I'm going to be the one to go and hang on the cross. When the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know that I am He. And by the way, I'm going to proclaim that to the world. I'm going to let everyone know that salvation can be found in me. You see, the undergird of this sermon series. Kind of thing in there, the idea in the back of my mind that has been keeping us afloat this entire time is that Jesus is what Jesus offers. Jesus is what Jesus offers. Jesus is not someone who stands up and says, yeah, 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 like we've got a plan of salvation. Don't worry about it. We got you covered. I've got my guy. He's on speed dial. Anytime you need him, just, and I'm there. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I will take this upon myself. Humanity was beautifully created by God. Jesus speaking our world into existence and then getting down on hands and knees and forming us, knowing that we would fall. And he says, I'm so invested in this group of people that I am going to be their rescue. I am going to be the one. I'm gonna promise it, I'm gonna procure it, and I'm gonna proclaim it. Jesus is what Jesus offers. I love how the author C.S. Lewis puts it. He says about Jesus, he would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. For the religious leaders in the temple, 
they would choose spitting at him and ultimately killing him. They were ready in that moment, in the temple. Jesus had just said, I am who I am. And they're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And they're ready to pick up the stones. They're ready to kill Jesus, but his time was not yet. And he disappears from the crowd. I think we often find ourselves in between John 8, 58 and verse 8, 59 that Jesus will make a proclamation in our life. He'll make a promise to us. I am who I am. I'm gonna be the person that you need. And we're in between the stones on the ground and believing the promise because if Jesus really is who he says he is, he's either a madman or a fool or he is who he says he is. And I think the only option for to really believe in Jesus, how he has introduced himself this morning from John chapter eight, is to fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know who Jesus is to you, what your experience with Jesus has been. But there's a father in heaven who's been sending his son to you over over again. As a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 21 about a vineyard owner who leases out his field to some farmers. And harvest comes and the vineyard owner says, it's time for me to, to receive my produce. And so he sends some of his servants to these to the, the, the land workers. And he says, tell them, please come receive the harvest. And when they show up, the people are like, nah, we don't want to give anything to, to the land owner. We've been working hard for this ourselves. And they sent them And he sends another group of servants, an even larger, and they beat them almost to death and they send them away. And the vineyard owner himself is is, is, is just beside himself. He says, maybe, maybe, just maybe if I send my son, maybe if I can send my son to this harsh group of people, maybe they would understand who I am and my care for them. And those vineyard workers looked at the son of the vineyard owner and they said, if we get him, we can get the inheritance. And they beat and bludgeon and kill the son of the vineyard owner. God in the same way has sent his son Jesus, the I am, rescue promised, rescue procured, and rescue proclaimed. So today, I don't know where you're at, if this is a moment for you as we sing our final song to just be you and Jesus and talk through whatever it might be, this is, this is your moment. I'm not making a big call and like raise hands, stand up, come down to the front, none of that stuff. If this is you, this is your moment. Maybe you've been introduced for the first time today or this is a reintroduction, whether you're here in person or online. This is your moment to say, God, we've got some talking to do. And maybe the Holy Spirit's put it on your heart that maybe you'd like to get to know Jesus a little bit more You'd like to know and understand who he is a bit more. Here's how you can respond to that today. There's a little card in front of you in the pew. It's got some membership info and some boxes and stuff like that. If you'd like to have some Bible studies or maybe you've been thinking about baptism. If you've been looking for a sign, this is your sign. Look for a call, this is it. You can check on that card, give us some information, give it to me, give it to anybody you see on stage or in the black boxes in the back and we'll be in contact with you. 
And maybe the card is a little bit too sterile. Maybe it's like, ah, I need to talk to a living, breathing human being because that's what relationship is. I would lodge you for that. I love, and come and, I love for you to come and talk with me after. I don't know who you are. I don't know what God has put on your heart. But our praise team is going to lead us through our final song this morning. And this is your opportunity to respond. You're in the middle of John 8, 58 and 59. And maybe you've been frustrated with Jesus' claims because it hasn't seemed like God has lived up to who he's promised to be. Let God know that. Before you pick up stones, before you nail Jesus to a tree, just before, before you do that for a moment, give pause and listen to who Jesus is introducing himself as this morning. And I promise you, you're going to find a loving, caring, compassionate God-man. He is human, and he understands our plight. So as you close your eyes and as we pray, God, we need you now more than ever this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus being the I am. God, thank you that rescue is promised. Thank you that rescue has been procured and now rescue is proclaimed because of what you have done. God, as we have a little moment here with you, as you've sat down beside us, God, would you make an introduction or a reintroduction today? We just want to know you more. We want to understand your heart. We want to be embraced by the love of a father and of a son and of a spirit who's head over heels in love with us and has done everything possible to save us. God, may we be embraced by your rhythms of grace. And may we respond, whether in personal commitment, pursuit of further study or baptism, of close relationship with our community and with you. God, may we respond today. We leave our lives in your hands and we pray that we don't leave this moment changed. In the powerful I am name of Jesus, we pray.